Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the With a Terrible Fate podcast. I'm Dan. And I'm Aaron. And here we are. And uh, you may notice that my voice sounds just just a teensy bit different because I'm traveling and this is not my nice, lovely Shure microphone, but it is a nice one. <laughs> just not as nice. A little, a little tinnier perhaps, and yet also slightly better groomed in preparation for yes. certain things <laughs> that might be happening soon. That's I can true. hear the handsome, well, well, uh, well tended to follicles through the tinny. Well, I have a face for radio, as they say. So that's, uh, <laughs> that's <laughs> but we, uh, we're happy to be here. Yes. I, I, uh, uh, we'll, we'll be taking a break next week cause I'm getting married and, uh, Mr. Best man over here, um, will be there of course. So wedding um, bells. I love every kind of bells. We haven't talked about that in a while, but especially, oh, yeah. bells, especially <laughs> yours. <laughs> That's right. Well today, so for, uh, for that reason, I think it's actually kind of nice because we both have kind of a game that we finished and you have a really great topic for kind of, I would say what kind of comes after finishing a big game like that and like what you, how you kind of think about it. But, um, my big game that I finished and, uh, I, I know I talked a lot about it last week, so I'm not going to, um, belabor the point too much, but I finished, uh, Yakuza like a dragon, infinite wealth. And, um, it was fantastic. It was, uh, just everything that I was hoping would come of that story came out of it. Um, there were still moments that I didn't see coming that, uh, were so emotionally touching and so resonant with not just Ichiban's character, but Kiryu's character and the character of the series, um, generally speaking, and the kind of ethos and, um, and pathos of it really. I mean, it was just, I think it's, it's a rare thing that, um, any game in a series could be the last one and you'd be happy. Um, and I think that for as much as we talked about how Yakuza is this odyssey of, uh, Kiryu's life in particular, um, it's just so great that like every way that they choose to end a story feels like you could close the book. And yet you're so excited for when the next one comes out too, because you never know, you know, what's going to happen. Now, how do you think it is that they're able to toe that line and balance those two things so successfully because i mean it's it's always a marvel in any series that has continuity when you feel a sense of closure in any single one but for that to be so consistent and have you excited yeah. for the next one that does seem quite remarkable i was thinking about it and i was talking to my brother matt about it because uh i've been kind of cleaning up like the trophies and stuff and just kind of lazily spending more time with the characters and he had asked me a similar question because I kind of made that comment when we were talking about the other Yakuza games. And I think that the real strength of it is that um, the characters are just so true to themselves and to their archetypes that you have this North Star of the main character, whether it's Kiryu or Ichiban or even some of the side characters. I mean, most of the side characters really um, just kind of toe the line of the story to the point where everything that they do feels so purposeful and feels so alive that by the time the story is over, even if there's maybe some loose emotional threads that you, um, you're kind of wondering about, you kind of trust that everything is going to be okay because of how these characters operate. Or if it's not going to be okay, then you trust that they'll figure it out whether you're there or not. I think it's a really interesting situation where, because of the agency we imbue into these characters, it gives them the, it, it's this great melding of like what we give to them and what they have inherently, namely like the arc, the archetype or the writing that melds beautifully to the point where at the end of the story, you feel confident that you can leave and everything's going to turn out how it's supposed to. And I think that that's something that isn't present in a lot of games when it's not present in a lot of games. And I think it, it comes out in a feeling of like us wanting more and wanting to go back. Whereas like every Yakuza game that I've played always ends with me saying, okay, I might clean up some side quests just to see how the writing works or 
how funny it is, or maybe spend some more time playing some mini games, but I'm not left hanging wondering how Kiryu is going to turn out. Like I'm, I'm pretty confident that it's going to be this, or I'm pretty confident that it's going to be this because of the people in his life or the things that he kind of learned in this story. And, uh, I was actually, I was talking about, I was talking about something similar with, uh, with another person who's interested in, in being an analyst on with a terrible fate uh, a couple of mm. weeks ago. So I won't front run her article by saying too much about it, but suffice to say, we were thinking and talking about similarly, this idea of archetypes or these pre-established mental models of certain uh, roles that characters can take on in a story and how that leads you to engage with it in something like uh, Zelda story, right? Where to go mm. back to that great talk that you gave all the way back in high school that inspired me to study video games. You look at something like Ocarina of Time and it's very much a familiar model of the hero's journey where we can quickly clock the kind of heroism that Link is called to and then kind of happily and snugly slide into that throughout the journey. Mm. Um, but I, I think there is, there's an interesting interplay of the kind that you're talking about where on the one hand, you might think in an interactive medium like video games, you recognize an archetype and then it's easier to kind of tune out or not exercise your agency because you can just see the path that's already written for these characters and it can feel disempowering. But I think in the hands of a masterful storyteller, like you're talking about, that can be turned on its head and be reimagined into this notion of trust where it's almost like it's not so much that you see the archetypes of these characters and they're familiar and so you feel like you're just going along for the ride in a, a passive or flaccid way rather it's that you understand immediately and intuitively what they're about how they're going to react in different situations as you say and then you become so invested in them that your agency is a way of just supporting those actions that they already intend to take uh, so kind of just like augmenting their own agency through recognition of what it is that they want to do, uh, which is interesting, right? And I think as we find ourselves, you and I, I mean, diving more into these mm. um, really potent character portraits as we get further into our old age and, uh, <laughs> and look for different things in gaming, right? It's um, it's interesting that even if the the initial attraction of the interactive medium is the idea that, oh, you know, you can come in and exert your agency over these characters and decide what it is they want to do, kind of the, uh, I don't want to say the more mature way of looking at it, but a different way in which we're gravitating towards it in our older age is more of finding characters whose existence and value we can buy into independently of our agency and then decide, yeah, these are really interesting guys and gals that I want to throw my weight behind and support through whatever I can yes. offer them with my gameplay and engagement, you know? I, that that idea of support, I think, is so true to what I felt playing this one because it really does, I mean, in addition to it being a story about um, kind of giving, your, give, giving yourself grace in a life that you really haven't afforded that to yourself. Um, you know, the kind of mechanical way that you do that for Kiryu is you take him on these like side missions where he's going to meet people who he's helped throughout his life that he just kind of like, he didn't, he didn't cast off cause he's not a callous man. He just thought that like you, you realize in this game that every time he left an interaction where he truly helped somebody, that they just immediately forgot about him and like went about their daily mm -hmm. life. But you see all of these examples of um, people whose lives were really impacted by his kindness and something that he just went out of his way to do because he just felt that it was right. And the story is really about the entire world of the game basically saying, you know, that works both ways. Like it can work for you too. And mm. I think that what's so special about that message is that I can think of movies and novels that I've read that have the same message, but I think the idea that like that final message in the final cutscene has so much more oomph because I guided Kiryu through those conversations and through those moments. And this is something that, you know, uh, it maybe is like a, it's a simple, um, 
observation with video games and like how we interact with them. But I always love a game that reminds me that even though that's simple, it's really the most powerful thing about about video games is that, you know, if you think about these characters as as objects in a game to be used to, you know, get to an objective, they fill a very particular slot in your head. But if you allow yourself to think of them as subjects and people with discrete interiority who you're affecting by being this kind of invisible hand or like invisible companion, whatever, however you want to put it, it really changes what those characters do for you and what you do for them. And I was very touched by the ending of this game because it felt like I had been getting so many rewards from enjoying these games and it felt like Kiryu finally got it at the end of Mm. it. And I just thought that was so special. I can tell you're invisibly living inside my head as you always are because you say invisible (laughs) hand and I'm, I'm wrestling with Adam Smith for the first time in a while for uh, this next article I'm working on for Oh, seriously? (laughs) Which I hadn't told you, but like I said, this is why we don't actually have to have conversations because you just always intuitively know. (laughs) I I wasn't expecting to have this kind of overlap between Yakuza and all my studying with the Tales series, but you talk about what you got out of this game and it puts me in mind of something that we were actually talking about on Friday because we finally wrapped up the study we'd been doing on with the terrible fates, Twitch channel of tales of graces F, which Mm. I think clocked in at like, like 133 hours or something long for a, for a tales game uh, or just for most JRPG standards. Yeah. Um, But we were reflecting on how do we make sense of the whole. And one thing that one of the stream diehards grail Z five, grail as i call him uh mentioned was you pick up a lot of jrpgs or tales games like tales of symphonia because i know that's one you've played and and love Mm. and even if the storyline feels pretty linear in the sense that you can't bring about totally different conclusions to the narrative you oftentimes have a decent amount of agency over deciding smaller things like what characters are going to say in different scenarios. So think about like the, the skit style conversations you get in tales of symphonia, where a lot of them will affect the relationships between the main character Lloyd and the other members of the party based on how you choose to have Lloyd react in different conversations. Right. Uh, And tales of graces F is a really interesting case because at once it seems deeply concerned with the intimate relationships between the characters and then come them coming to really know each other beyond and more foundationally than any particular role that they have in the world or in each other's lives. And it also gives the player no dialogue based agency really over these characters in terms of deciding what Mm -hmm. it is that they're going to say in different scenarios. And so we were talking and thinking about that and we arrived at something pretty similar to what you were saying about Yakuza, where the player certainly still has agency. And I think it's really important for us as gamers to recognize that even in games that seem remarkably linear and it's not, you know, mass effect where you get to decide the entire fate of the cosmos at the end of the game, even deciding little things like whether or not to trigger particular side quests or conversations between characters Mm -hmm. like that changes the nature of the game. And is because you chose to undertake that. Right. And so having that shape of agency in something like tales of graces F ends up, I think, with the player feeling like it's not so much that you're shaping your own role in this world and like, you know, imposing yourself on the avatar or things that, again, you might think of in more of a mass effect or character creation vein, but it's more like you're putting in a remarkable amount of sustained effort over, you know, over a hundred hours to bring about these different conversations and opportunities for the characters to naturally interact with one another. And these characters are sufficiently well-defined that they don't need your help to figure out what it is that they're going to say. They need your help to create the opportunities to engage with each other and come up with things to say in the first place, which seems like a subtle difference, but exactly as you say, I think it points to a nice way in which um, with a JRPG, especially it can mechanically underpin and support 
that message that we oftentimes get of, you know, we're able to find and discover ourselves exactly by helping out and supporting others on their mission, right? And what is it that we do as the players of these JRPGs? Exactly that, not by stepping into the shoes of the hero ourselves, but by coming to understand who the heroes are and helping them to determine their own identity and what it is that they want to do in the world and how they want to make sense of their lives in something like um, like Yakuza with Kiryu. Yeah, it it's a really... It's a really uh, particular setup, I think, for games with their stories, especially. And I think definitely JRPGs find themselves in that area more often than some other games. But I think that what it what it allows you to do is, I think, um, like I I felt the same way when I was younger, and I. Uh, I had this kind of hero in Zach Fair in Crisis Core where I didn't feel like I was him because he was so larger than life. Like I felt like I was naturally kind of on the sidelines watching as things happened or maybe putting my input here and there. And it's the same thing with like Ichiban or Kiryu who are these larger than life characters. Um, and it's true of any like JRPG character that I think we gravitate towards where there's something about them where maybe it's the distance between you two where there's something in them that you really admire that you know that mm. you don't think that you possess, right? Like I, mm -hmm. I want that or I, I strive for that. That's who I would like to be in this circumstance, but I don't think I'm there yet. So I can't, mm. I can't feel like I'm that person, like playing in a first person perspective. Um, but I can feel like I'm a friend or a companion or, you know, a guide or a narrator or some, some kind of third party that's just kind of observing and taking, uh, the same kind of meaning from their journeys that the other characters in the story do. And, you know, that too, I think is a really salient and important and underappreciated, um, mirror that exists in a lot of just not only JRPGs, but specifically, party-based JRPGs mm. where if you think about the main character uh, in a lot of these games, whether it's someone like, like a Zack or I guess maybe, maybe a bit more fittingly cloud in final fantasy seven mm. uh, or someone like Lloyd Irving in tales of symphonia uh, or even as Lant uh, in tales of graces F um, it's, it's always a really, fruitful question i think to ask what is the relationship they stand in to the rest of their party like do the other mm. party members all represent different aspects of that main character are they all learning from that main character in different ways but i think in many cases that leader um while maybe not always the heart of the story does kind of inspire growth and the different personal journeys of all of the other characters who end up joining the party um in one way or another to follow him or her. Uh, mm. And I think exactly as you say, there's a sense in which even though we're occupying an ontologically different role in the game as the player, we're really doing something that's quite functionally similar where we're sitting down and we're getting access to this world through the perspective of the main character. And as you say, it's, it's almost like we're drawn to these games because we don't we recognize that we can't quite just fill that role ourselves, but rather mm. we recognize something that is worth aspiring to or learning from in the main character. So that just as we see someone like say, um, you know, Vincent, like learning from cloud's journey in this way or that, uh, and coming to terms with his own past. Uh, so too, can we ask like, well, what if I think of myself as a party member, right? Like what is my right. arc through this game? What do I take away from it at the end? And how can I have learned from the main character in order to make that possible? Which might also actually, as, as we think about it that way, be a good way into that question we were talking about last week of, you know, how can Come, I... Coming into the, yeah, coming into them at I, the right time. Yeah. Well, coming into them at the right time and also like making sense of the question, like, how do I feel about this game as a whole and how can I interpret it mm. once I'm done with it, right? Uh, asking well, about your own arc as a player might be a good way to start that. I totally agree with that. And I thought that where you were going was like, you know, these larger than like, if you think of the game as almost like this, uh, you know, vessel for that leader character, you know, it's like, okay, why do these games kind of hit us in a way 
at a certain time in our life. Like, why does that character hit these party members at a certain time in their life? Right. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. I think that something that was so cool about this game as an entry in the Yakuza series, but also a deliberate sequel to the seventh game is that so much of what Kiryu goes through is not through Ichiban directly. It's like his, his growth is not through like Ichiban kind of like being a Kamina figure and like telling him to, you know, buck up and everything. It's really like, um, the people that he's helped, but then also like the party members from the first game who were so, uh, enamored with Ichiban that they're like emulating him and they're trying Mm. to do this. And so Mm. it just kind of like goes into the, the like lexicon of this game where it's like, okay, well, what would Ichiban do? Like, he's not here right now. So like how I'm going to try to, you know, work like he does. And then that like trickles down into the main character of this series who needed this at that right time. And it's, Mm. it's just this kind of layers of man, like, you know, that, that leader of a JRPG kind of like not even recognizing that he's doing that and just, but that's why it happened, right? Is that he's the exact right person to do that because he's not thinking of it in those grandiose terms. Like we're putting on it now. (laughs) What's that famous line from fight club? You've found me at a very strange time in my life. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It was a lot like that. That's so good. Yeah. And it is like, it. I think part of what always makes these games, not always, but oftentimes feel so magical and mystical to me is you come into it as a player and someone who's reading this text with intentionally limited information because you don't know what the stakes are in the world when you step into a JRPG and the first act versus when everything's been blown up to a cosmic scale three acts later. Uh, but even at a more intimate scale, like it's so cool to really do a close reading of one of these JRPGs and see how, especially at the beginning, these characters, especially the party members are oftentimes working through these struggles that they're not even always consciously aware of yet and can't quite put into words. And it's by Mm. finding this main character and almost like magnetically and subconsciously recognizing there's something about you that I need in my life right now. Like you were saying, in terms of finding a game at the right time too, they're able to go on an arc that then culminates in them realizing what they were working through all along a nice mirror too. I think to a lot of how we will oftentimes draw meaning from games at the end, making sense of what the whole journey was about, but you can't know until the end why you took it on in the first place. You just like perfectly described also another reason why I think the Yakuza games, you asked me earlier why they feel like they wrap up. It's Mm -hmm. because I feel like there's usually a character in the, flagship yakuza titles who like has exactly the journey you just described and that character in this game was the character yamai who i talked about last week yeah whose conclusion is so gut-wrenching and heartfelt that it it reinforces like the the worldview of the game where it's like even this kind of lunatic who you were really terrified of and who you fight like 10 times in the game (laughs) um ends up being the most like in the greek sense pathetic character of wow i misjudged him i misunderstood him i weep for him and what he went through and just like you know he only was able to have that catharsis because of the way that the narrative was set up to have our interaction into it you know and I think that uh, when it comes to feeling like a complete story, kind of having a character go through that immense journey as a side character is important for a game to feel complete because it's almost like, okay, not only can we expand and explore this theme in macrocosm, but we can do it with yeah. like one person. And it's really intimate and important to that one character. 
with side characters and also, as you say, in the case of Yumai, with enemies and recurring enemies, you know, because mm. it's it's perhaps easy to see and talk about with party members and main characters, like we're saying. But I've been thinking a lot about bosses because uh, mm. I forget whether we've mentioned it on the podcast in the past, but um, our buddy Matt McGill and I are going to be lecturing at PAX East in Boston next month, uh, thinking about the nature of bosses as these interesting yeah. kind of character gameplay challenge hybrids that exist in games and all of the interesting dimensions that go along with it but i think um you like unlocked one of the threads of my gaming history when you were talking about yamai in that way because i think about the trope of the boss or the enemy that will show up a million times across yeah. the course of a game like uh I, I guess one of my favorite touchstones for this just because of how much it freaking annoyed me was vanitas in birth by sleep 100 so, that kind of trope <laughs> right just like are, yeah. are you really gonna show up again and make me you deal again? with you for a yeah. tenth time yeah exactly the you again trope. I'm not even and playing uh, as the same <laughs> character and you're still here <laughs> seriously I, I can change timelines and i still can't get away from you you sick fuck <laughs> Which I guess is just Kingdom Hearts in a in a nutshell. If we blow yeah. it to Xehanort, but set that to the side <laughs> for a different podcasts. Um, but Tales of Graces F is like that too, where um, I, I guess a decent number of JRPGs are, but especially in something like Tales of Graces F, it doesn't just have the through line of a villain that you fight a lot, but in fact, like uh, sort of blends what we're talking about in the sense of taking a party member who is looking for something from the main character and villainizing them and turning them into the enemy that you basically have to figure out how to redeem over the course of the game and through multiple battles. Right. And I think, uh, another way in which I've kind of forced myself to grow up gaming over the years is man, as a kid, like, I think, I think I always had a big kind of anxiety driven chip on my shoulder about bosses like oh am i <laughs> going to be able to get through them this is going to be stressful like i just want to get on to the next piece of story or next low-key challenge or something like that uh and so i think that then kind of developed into this idea of like being really anxious or frustrated when a boss just wouldn't freaking go away like Vanitas, yeah. right but i think to go back to it through the lens of making sense of our journey in the game and what these characters are working through. Uh, it strikes me as so interesting to turn that kind of model on its head and say, man, if I keep running into this guy and he keeps picking a fight with us, why is that from his perspective? What is he trying to get answered in his life? And why is it so hard for him yeah. to find it? And what does that mean to that character and to the overall ecosystem of this game? You know, cause I think that's like, the worst kept secret about that trope is exactly as you say with Yamai, like it, it can quickly turn in a story from this recurring gameplay challenge and frustration into just this pathos laden, like punch what to is the your chest. Deal? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, Oh my God, that's why you were, you know, that's why you kept coming after us. That's what you were trying to sort through. Um, yeah. sort of similar to that, uh, that last line of Xemnas that you wrote about, uh, in terms of you know, no more eternal than that radius, that radiance of yours, or even saying, uh, you know, unfortunately, I don't to, uh, yeah. to Sora and Riku in terms of his emotional palette, right? Just not being able to, not being able to get what they're after, and I think that's what, yeah. that's what was so. Um, I I will say this: like there is a line, and you'll you'll get the sense that I felt with him, where. He has a line, his last line in the game when he kind of exits is it had the same impact on me as in Silent Hill 2 when Angela says, for me, it's always like this. Yeah. And it's just like that kind of just heartbreaking uh, soft underbelly that's beneath this shell. And I think like, it's, I, I'm not, I'm not, you know, describing a character who's like a, you know, like a yandere, like anime character who's like, <laughs> oh, you know, I, I hate you, Kiryu-chan, but I love you. You know, it's not that. It's like <laughs> this guy who he kind of, it's a very, it's a very human thing that I think he basically through fight, like through fighting you like 10 times is able to get that closure for himself 
like he he worked it out through the fight as much as we did and mm. i i can't remember a time i've seen that where like the the kind of character who keeps coming back um gets it before you do in the end um because my my I remember the was, last time you saw it you saw it in zavid mm. but maybe your brain didn't oh no you're totally right zavid yeah <laughs> well zavid knew before anybody did yeah <laughs> that's right <laughs> that's so yeah, true in more ways he than actually one. Zavid, uh, Yamai reminds me a lot of Zavid actually. Mm. Um, and I think, uh, yeah, it's, a uh, that kind of almost like you, you read them as like resigned and yet they're more hopeful than anyone else. You know, yes. that kind of like beautiful, like I, I've been so miserable for so long. There's no way I'm giving up hope, um, yeah. or I'll kill you, you know? <laughs> right. So, yeah, I, I think, uh, it's, it's something that only, and, and this is, this is my segue into what I know has been on your mind. Like I think for as, as maybe grueling as these games can be with their length, um, I don't know that that would have happened in a game that was shorter. I don't know that you are given the opportunity to explore something like that in, even like a 60 hour game. And that's, that sounds ludicrous, but I think it's true. Like, I think that there's something about feeling like, you know, the game is actually longer than it is. And it's long to begin with that makes those kind of stories possible. And I wonder for as much as you were talking about how long tales of graces F was like, I, I I'm begging the question a little bit because I know the answer is like, yeah, that probably did happen, but I want to hear it from you. So what, what did you find? Oh, you this, can like, give super me the long tales game. I'll always take yeah. the you. <laughs> I'll give you my favorite example at the moment that I've been thinking a lot about. Um, so with, with kind of spoilers for the structure of tales of graces, it's not just that it's a long game. It's that it really occurs over, multiple ages in more ways than one and retraces mm. its steps so it starts out in the childhood of who will become our heroes and then it goes through three acts seven years later when they've grown up a bit and are trying to come to terms with the trauma that happened in their childhood and then after that concludes what the team added when they basically did a, a remake of the game was they they wrote and bolted on an entire extra act um, so not kind of like the DLC supplement that we're more familiar to these days, especially in the West, but a, a complete like story that stands on its own two feet while also supplementing everything that's come before set mm -hmm. in the future relative to the, uh, the main three acts of the game. So another timeline, other things to consider as these characters are thinking about questions like what it is to outlive their story and what they want to do with their lives beyond the limits of the narrative that we have already gone through with them. Mm. And then it's not over yet because once you're done with that act, you do the post game by retracing your steps back to the game's third act in that earlier timeline uh, and working through a lot of, of bonus content and an EX dungeon and seeing yet different perspectives on the world. And so I mentioned that because... It's, it's extremely interesting. Um, and one of the things that I think is really compelling to me about it right now, and we talked about this a little bit when we wrapped up the game, is that I think there's a sense in which this game in particular is deeply concerned with not just thinking about conflict and the nature of conflict, like why does war happen or you know how can we stop wars from happening, but conflict as this essential paradigm through which we relate to others like only framing things that we can do in the world in terms of us being a protagonist and someone else being an antagonist mm -hmm. and asking the question uh through the kind of buddhist slant that we talked about a while ago when you were playing it like how can i remove those kinds of conditioned labels through which i make sense of what i want to do in the world and how i see others and relate more foundationally to the essence of this existence in which we all participate and see each other outside of any particular role that we take on or assign to ourselves in the world. And I think part of the magic of going through just so many eras in this game is that you actually are able to inhabit and work through that lesson as a player. When you see many of the characters in the party at one point or another in this huge arc being enemies that you have to fight 
uh, or you see characters taking on very different side quests in which they inhabit different roles or reflecting on parts of their history that have no bearing on their current journey. Or you even see what seems like the ultimate antagonist at the time, you know, all the way from his distant past to when he was basically just a, a bullied, helpless kid to all the way after his party has been able to help him come to terms with why he retreated into himself and became an enemy of the world and can actually help him grow into someone who wants to help heal the world and basically become another party member and hero. And so that's all by way of saying uh, when I wrapped things up in the post game, um, the one of the like final things that I did was we actually went back to the final fight in the game that wraps up the third act. So not, not the final fight in the game period, but what yeah. would be the, uh, the conclusion of the base game, what you and I played together uh, right, right. out here on the stream. Um, and I was really interested to see now that we have such a different perspective on this character, this villain, this Lambda, how will that conclusion hit differently? And yeah. there were so many lines that did, but something that really struck with me was when he's talking about what he wants to do of basically getting rid of humanity and resetting the world uh, and stopping all conflict by killing anyone who would get into conflict with one another. He talks about how cruel the world has been to him and how after he's done with this, he can finally rest. And that idea just unlocked a totally different layer of meaning to me, not just in this game, but also in a lot of the other JRPGs that I've been playing recently that I think we've both been playing over many years. When I said, man, you know, it's it's one idea to think about sympathy for the devil and you know getting pathos out of an antagonist or something like that but when you just stop and think about how tired and beaten down so many of these antagonists must be by you know being caught in the clutches of a plan that they have taken too far and they partly recognize that but they also don't know how to let that go i found myself saying like man not only is this getting me to think about lambda differently but all of these other villains who don't say it that explicitly, like, my God, when you sit down and think of what it is they're trying to do and what motivated them to do that, they must just be so exhausted and yeah. emptied by that. And how does that help us to see them differently? And I completely agree with you. It's, it's like, it almost sounds self-indulgent to say this. And I think you were hedging in the same way when you said it, but I think there's something that is just true about it. Like there are some, experiences and like modes of sympathy and empathy that you can get with a character, like some of the richest ones that are most useful to how you engage in your real life and with people in the real world that can really only come to fruition after you've sort of spent enough time in the world that it's not just about going through an arc or consuming a story. Mm -hmm. And it's more of getting so overwhelmed with the many arcs of a world's history or the lives of these characters that you kind of, are compelled to think more about, as you say, the essence of the characters rather than any particular journey that they happen to be on at one point or another. I, I really love that idea of like, because one of the things that I've been, or I had been struggling with like a few years ago, I think was, um, you use the term like sympathy for the devil and kind of engaging in like a non-dualistic practice where it's like, all right, I don't want to see this as white and black. I want to see this as gray. But I think that the problem with that is that a lot of times when we do that, I think we tend to stop at being aware that that's a mode that we can use to look at something. And we don't kind of circle back around or horseshoe back around to the ultimate point. And as you were talking about Lambda, so Final Fantasy X is always on my mind, but it's been on my mind because I'm using some of the music for my wedding. And um, so I was watching like some scenes and Seymour, like the, the antagonist of Final Fantasy X, I always understood what his whole plot was. He basically wants to, it's very easy, uh, like JRPG plot. I'm going to destroy the world so there's no suffering. It's like, all right, I see your right. logic, but obviously <laughs> you're wrong. But I think that something that I, I just hit upon recently when I was watching some scenes from it, I was like, you know, okay, if I look at Seymour not as black and white and not from that kind of stunted gray perspective, but if I take the gray and go back to what he's doing, can I get more 
empathy for that character while still acknowledging that what we do in killing him is right, <laughs> right? Mm, or, you know, mm-hmm. sending him. Mm-hmm. And the thing that got me over the edge with that was there's a scene, you know, his Final Fantasy X is all about summons called Aeons, and his Aeon is this like Lovecraftian monster called Anima. And we come to find out that Anima is his mother who sacrificed herself to protect him. And there is this kind of morass of feelings that I went through where I was like, wow. So that's what his mother turned into to protect him, this horrifying monster whose attacks are all based on like, they're literally called pain and like suffering. And just this idea that Seymour's idea of protection is pain and suffering. And Mm. so his idea of protecting someone from a very, like a motherly place, a parental place is to destroy it violently. And I just thought, okay, not only do I have to take you off the board, but that really breaks my heart to see that that's like what led you to that crazy path. But I, I, you get it more, right? And I think that you get it more with Lambda where you're like, man, I can see how you're exhausted, young kid who was like tortured your entire existence. (laughs) Of course you'd be exhausted. Yeah. I think that's quite similar actually to what I was thinking about with Tales of Graces F because, you know, I I know you have played Final Fantasy X many more and more recent times than I, uh, but my recollection is that um, a lot of anima, especially with getting anima as a, a summon for the party is purely optional content and stuff that's really easy to miss in the main story um and then you have to go back for uh to access more gameplay ability and also context in the story as you're saying with seymour and i think it it horseshoes back around to everything we were talking about in the beginning speaking of horseshoes about that idea where even if you're not making um ending defining choices like in a game like mass effect the attitude and input and choices of the player can radically shape your experience of the story Mm. uh, even to the point where like um i I think i think we saw this together when we were streaming tales of graces f but you might recall to get to that fourth act that was added on in the game like the developers could have very easily made it the case that it just rolled right into it after the conclusion of the base game Uh, and it's almost the opposite in terms of point of access where you have to go through multiple layers of the game's main menu to find the fourth act and decide to play it and continue on that journey. So it really makes you feel like you are putting in that extra effort in order to continue the journey of these characters, better understand them as people. uh, And correspondingly, as you were saying with Seymour, uh, in the case of Lambda, get a radically different uh, understanding of him that then cascades all the way back to the journey you originally went on through the base game. I like that too, because I feel like, you know, you've, you've written about in, um, in the Bloodborne DLC and the old hunters that, you know, the idea of that entire DLC is almost like, I mean, pretty directly chastising the player for wanting more or to try to understand deeper secrets. And I think there's a, you could, you could read that the same way with like the difficulty, I I say difficulty, the, the convolutedness, I guess, of trying to find the fourth act um, by going through all the menus. But then I think like, uh, if you flip that on its head, it's not so much like you are, pushing these characters into another story when, you know, maybe it should have been over. It's more like, no, they went on without you. Like they, they're doing stuff. They, they don't really, they had your input and now these things are happening. And if you want to go into it, you kind of have to work for it. Even if that's just going through a bunch of different menu options. And I think that's kind of cool where it's like not as antagonistic, but more like, you know, Hey, if you don't find uh, you know, the, the F act, then they're going to be okay. They have their own thing going on. <laughs> so, I kind of just that. more human in the sense that life does go on. And, and like I was saying, so much of that act does revolve around these characters trying to make sense of the fact that life does go on and that they have to figure out how to live their lives 
outside of any single narrative, but also recognizing that their lives have finality and that life is going to end. And so how do they themselves create something like a legacy that will outlast themselves, right? Mm. Uh, and the idea of dreams that can be carried on even after they die, which very, very metafictionally satisfying things for the reasons that we're talking about with the player making sense of how to relate to these characters after their story is done and the characters also doing that. But also just uh, back to what you were saying about Yakuza, deeply and remarkably mature uh, for you know any mm. kind of story to be thinking about characters who have had for all intents and purposes their happy ending um reckoning with just the banality of a continued existence and also the inevitability of death and conclusions uh, you don't oftentimes get that especially with these sorts of templated and archetypal heroes journeys that we were talking about and i think that makes it kind of all the all the more um relatable and accessible mm. as a player i think or when you go well through a... i would say you know yeah you don't you don't get those or if you do if, if you do get those ruminations on death it's because like you know sephiroth is coming and he's going to kill everybody right <laughs> it's it's yeah. not so much just hey that that part of it's done and now we're just thinking about like all right well what if i get sick or what if i just go one day and then what happens after that like i'm thinking about as you said, legacy, right? This this thing that heroes don't often actually get to like sit and kind of ruminate on, and it's mm -hmm. always very cool when we get to see that that kind of like you know uh, from a uh, it's almost mundane, right? Just this like yes. thing that everybody goes through, um, and for somebody who you know defeated a an ancient evil to go through it and just kind of have that kind of angst <laughs> is, is kind of, uh, kind of really special. And I think something that I don't know that I've, I, I maybe I've seen it in movies, but it's not as impactful. That's for sure. Well, and I think, um, not just due to the interactivity, but also as we were saying, due to, the length of these games, you know, I think there's something mm. that in a shorter style medium would feel contrived uh, or incredible about these heroes who have to deal with cataclysmic apocalyptic threats, wrestling with things like death by old age uh, or, you know, the meaning of bringing children into the world or deciding like whom to marry and things like that. Um, but it was remarkable to me too in Tales of Graces F that after a very standard JRPG plot uh, in terms of thinking about things that threaten the existence of the world, uh, it simultaneously raises the stakes in terms of the threat that looms over everything, but does so in a way that prompts and rewards the characters and us, the players, thinking about, um, as you say, the much more mundane kind of evils and miracles of the world uh, in the sense that you know we will all die and oftentimes it won't be some kind of you know epic or meaningful conclusion sometimes it'll just be off screen after we've you know set our piece and been through all of our arcs and then what do we leave behind uh, and what do we want to pass on to the next generation and what does it even mean to create the next generation um, with spoilers for tales of graces f but i just I have to say this because it's so beautiful. You know, um, one of the main things that the base game is about is really the hero Asbel um, coming to terms with his relationship with his dad and his family, mm -hmm. because it, it does this great storytelling thing where it brings you into a prologue where you're tethered to the perspective of this little kid who from his point of view is ruled under the thumb of his domineering dad who's a lord and doesn't let him do anything so you kind of you get this perspective of his dad as a villain and then a lot of the base game is just working through and coming to realize no of course Asbel's dad loved him and had his best interest in heart uh, and was trying to do everything right for him all along in ways that Asbel couldn't understand at the time but of course, Asbel only comes to realize this after his dad is killed in battle and Asbel never got to say his piece to him. And then what's implied at the very conclusion of the game's fourth act is that, you know, Asbel 
has the gift of being able to decide who he wants to settle down with. He's able to finally speak his feelings to the woman of his choosing, not our choosing, our choosing as a player, uh, but you know, mm. the one he wants to be with. Uh, and they're able to actually get married and have kids. And as I was alluding to as bell, like it's pretty much implied lives, you know, a long life and then dies and, you know, it's passed on to the next generation. So it's almost like his father, uh, dies uh, in battle and in these harder circumstances to give Asbel the gift of just being able to live out his life and and pass something on in a much more ordinary way that's not colored by all of these JRPG tropes that we know and love uh, and are much more conflict centric and and epic in their scope. Uh, I really I loved that about it. That's really special. I uh, I love you know. What do you do after you save the world, right? It's a, it's yeah. a good question, and I think it just reminds me of, um, you know, to to round out the podcast with a, an anime reference. So, my one of my favorite things about One Punch Man, this character who can defeat anybody in one punch, um, he's not preoccupied with saving the world or uh, like beating villains or anything. He's preoccupied with sales at the grocery store. And I just think like that, that's so fun to go that route of like, okay, there are these big metaphorical fights, but then there's also the very real tangible kind of inner fight of man, what would my dad think? Am I, am I a, as good a dad? Am I a better dad? Like, does that even matter? I guess I'll just love my kids and kind of move on with it, you know? Mm. And it's a magical trick of the light in Tales of Grace's F also, because even as much as I'm saying, like the main game revolves on around these typical epic JRPG struggles. Uh, I think part of what a lot of people notice about it and don't really know what to do with that, you know, to people like you and I make it all the cooler is that when you really look at a lot of these conflicts, it's, I think, deliberately hard to track um, and, and pay attention to the details of the plot in terms of the various, like, national forces of the world that are coming into conflict with one another or how things are evolving over time because at the end of the day it's really just about this one friend of the party who's kind of been driven into like insane isolation and fear of betrayal and hurt and anguish uh and confronting him again and again and coming to understand the party members and him through these different almost portraits of their time together. Like I, I found myself pretty frequently comparing the game to something more like portraiture uh, and that kind of character study through stills and reflection rather than the kind of epic odyssey that we might be familiar with or, or talked about in terms of Yakuza or something like that. So I think it is, it's interesting in the way it sort of sets things up as the typical structure of a JRPG journey only to focus you more on those intimate moments than you get in many other JRPGs. It's something that made me almost more inclined to wish that uh, at the end of the day, I mean, I, I did kind of keep a, a journal of this because I have all the streams, but you know, I was thinking of our uh, our dear friend, Stefan Heinrich Simond, uh, who used to podcast with us and the way he would do sometimes these little gaming His diaries. Journal. Of, uh, yeah. Exactly, yep, yep. yep. Um, same wonderful series. But it, it just made me think between the focus of this game on its characters and then the length of the game and the various effects that that is conducive to, like we've been talking about, like, yeah, I have all these save files of the characters moments in this journey and what they were working through, but man, across the length of this journey, like I'm different now and I'm thinking about different things in my life and in the game than I was when I booted it up and was first asking questions in it months ago. Uh, and I think sometimes, especially gamers like you and I, who will probably consume all of Final Fantasy Rebirth in like three or four days, we yep. uh, we kind of we will miss, we get plenty of other experiences, but we miss out on that kind of long haul experience of just living with games that are sufficiently long and diverse in their content that I think they do sort of just want you to live with them and get to know yourself through the journey with the characters. Like I found myself stepping away from it. Um, at the end of this week, almost not knowing how to say goodbye. And in a weird way, feeling yeah. like, you know, I've never, 
I've never really been one for what you might call slice of life games like Harvest Moon or whatever, where you just you enter a world and and live a life and inhabit a space or Animal Crossing for that matter. Uh, but mm. I almost in an unexpected way found it with this kind of long winding journey that um, sort of through the way it plays with your focus forces you to attend more to just life with these characters and uh, your emotional bonds with them rather than the substance and message of any particular journey they happen to be on at the time. And I found that really um, just soothing and emotionally <laughs> instructive in a way that even amongst JRPGs, I find I don't often get. It is funny, the the longer you spend, and I think the more you like the characters too, the more you are reticent to leave, especially if it's I find with like the newer games that I go into, like it's different with games that I played as a kid. Cause it's like going home again, but with these, it's almost like, yeah. you know, wow, that was a really nice visit. And, uh, I'm sad that it's over. Cause you know, it'll be different the next time I go back, but. So I, I'll I ask you this. And we, uh, we touched on it a little bit earlier in this conversation, but I was wrestling with it anew on, uh, on Friday on the stream. So when you wrap up a game, like, Yakuza or one of these other games where, uh, as you say, it's melancholic to say goodbye to these characters. I know some of your answers to this, but uh, more broadly <laughs> speaking, like how do you decide the way to end it? Like what are the things that you save for last to leave, you know, uh, the right taste in your mouth or to get like a certain kind of insight that you know is going to sit with you for a while? How do you decide that final burst of flavor to have when you do put the game down? Typically it's, it's trophies. Um, and the way that I, the way that I go about it is like, if I've completed the trophies on a game, if I have the platinum on a game, then I feel like I've really closed the book on it. And there's definitely games that I go back to and I've gotten the platinum on multiple times, but those are kind of few and far between. And for the most part, like if I play a game and I, I do that, I've spent so much time in that world that I feel like I did it justice because at least in the kind of meta game of the trophy system, I did everything that was there to do. But then there's other times like in Octopath Traveler 2, which was very special to me for a lot of reasons. I deliberately didn't get the platinum trophy so that I had an excuse to go back to that game and feel like I left a bookmark in it. And mm. I find that I do that with like newer Pokemon games, like only when this uh, epilogue of Scarlet and Violet came out, did I decide to get the, to, to complete the Pokedex. Because to me, like there's no trophy or achievement system on Nintendo games, but to me it's like, okay, there's beating the game. There's, you know, getting a certain amount of, money or you know getting these pokemon or whatever but like completing the pokedex is like all right i can close the book on this one and i think that if i feel like i got all that i could out of it um then i'll do that but i often find that i won't do that deliberately so that i can go back to it and experience it again and so i'm uh I'm in this weird kind of middle place with uh, infinite wealth where I have one trophy left and it's like beating the game on the hardest difficulty, hmm. um, which <clears throat> I'm actually fine with because the way to do it is basically you have to play through it like three times. And so uh, I guess maybe there's like a stackable trophy where if you go to the hardest difficulty first, you can get all of them. But I didn't do that. Like I, ramped it up so that I would have these three different challenging playthroughs. And, uh, I feel like by the time I get to the end of this one, I'll have gotten that last trophy. I'll have gotten the hundred percent. And then I can truly say like, all right, I put these characters through their paces and had a really good time with them and I'll see them in their next journey. I love that. And I ask you because, um, I, th I think it, in the first place, it speaks a lot to the personality of different gamers in terms of how they do like to wrap things up. And so if listeners haven't um, asked or consciously thought about this about themselves, they should do that. But I was also, um, 
I was called to do that in Tales of Grace's F in a way that I'm not normally because like you, especially these days, I'll oftentimes try to wrap up games um, by doing all of their trophies and getting the platinum if it's on PlayStation, uh, especially because, as you know, in the last few years, starting with Final Fantasy Remake, so I can't wait to see what Rebirth does with this, uh, I really fell down the rabbit hole of thinking of trophy-based storytelling as a kind of whole intertextual layer uh, for these game mm. stories that we go through. But with um, with many of the Tales games, and, and especially, I would say, with Tales of Graces F, there is simply so much uh, and in Tales of Graces F, I think, if you look at its themes, a big part of it is I think it almost wants to overwhelm you with things like the sheer numeracy of titles and how hard it is to master all of the arts and how difficult it is to achieve a level of mastery with the combat system to complete all of like the final end game challenges that just crank everything up to 11 and throw you Mm -hmm. in, you know, like literally a combat arena with four of the super bosses all at once, things like that. Right. And so coming at it from the perspective of a simply being ready to be done, but also B being ready to be done with a world that seems to be, forcing you to um define your own sense of closure in a way that is not architected by the trophies it was like it was harder than i expected to figure out how to do that so i i kind of ended up yeah i'll i'll tell you that um often like if i if i make that decision on a jrpg that has like a replayability factor not just jrpgs like any games where you can like Okay, like uh, games that will kind of, you'll save after you beat it and then it'll spit you out at the final boss. And like maybe yeah. there's post-game content, but maybe not. Um, mm-hmm. I find that in games that have post-game content that have like a ton, like you're talking about with Tales of Graces, um, I that happened to me with Zysteria where I yeah. was like, I I've gotten everything that I want out of this. I really enjoyed it. Um, I'm going to go fight Helldolf one more time and then yes. that'll be it. So I often will say like, all right, I'm kind of running out of steam and I don't want to end on that feeling. So I'm going to go like do the final confrontation one more time and then shut the game off. Yes. And which that, is that what I you did with graces. I know. I, I was going to say, I think it's a nice note to, uh, to leave in your mouth that final confrontation, uh, especially with graces. It was cool because like I was saying it kicks you back to the third act for the post game. And so you can do mm. a really cool thing, which we did of kind of having the point counterpoint of doing the final boss of Lambda. And then also the final um, secret boss at the end of the EX dungeon. And it kind of, it motivates you to see them in parallel because they also have a nice narrative setup of once you beat, the boss of the EX dungeon, you basically accidentally undo what he was doing to restrain Lambda. And so Lambda becomes oh. even more powered up in the final fight. So then you, you awesome. have to go back and, and fight him again. So yeah, very cool way to sort of see both sides of the story in terms of um, the conflict that you were facing in the first place and going back mm-hmm. and readdressing that. And also your final like outermost framing and context for the conflict in terms of everything that was, was further explained in the EX dungeon. Uh, but you know, it was a game too, where we, we touched on this a little bit with Yakuza it's equal parts pathos and rich, um, tragic and salient messages and also just hilarious moments of comedy. Uh, and so it was fun in that wrap up to just take a break and also do some of those end game challenges that I was talking about, which many of which were just like jokes of the developers making, you know, random assortments of enemies, huge or tiny, or the the kind of nonsense that you get as just like bonus challenge runs that don't add anything to the story. And so having that as kind of a palate cleanser as we were working through everything else was, was a nice way to balance things. Um, I wanted to ask you perhaps as a way of, of wrapping up as we're thinking about these various slice of life games and the way in which these long JRPG plots can involve us in characters beyond the, uh, the end of their conflicts and think forward to the wonderful occasion that we're going to mark this coming weekend. Something else that has been on my mind for all those reasons and more 
is that in more than one of these Tales games, uh, it's cool because you go through all of these JRPG journeys and rather than culminating in something like, you know, the tragic death of a hero or everyone living happily ever after, you get to either see or have implied the promise of actual weddings where mm. characters think about whom they want to be with and actually declare those feelings uh, and intend to build this new kind of life beyond the bounds of their stories together. And so to the, uh, the groom in waiting, I wanted to ask <laughs> gamer and thinker that you are, as you reflect and prepare for your own nuptials, are there any games or moments in games or messages in games that really stand out to you and are at the top of your mind uh, that you're carrying forward to your wedding and beyond? Hmm. I, I think, and you'll see this Aaron personally, but, um, I think that a big part of my life that sort of the, um, the thing I was alluding to before where, you know, these characters are larger than life and you kind of, you hope to be them but you understand that there's a distance, hopefully not like a gulf, but you know, there's at least a distance <laughs> there. And I'm always struck. So in kingdom hearts, how, um, I always felt very close to Riku as a character more so than Sora. And I think it's because Riku is deliberately written to want to be like his friend and to be this kind of, a person who can um, be larger than life. And I always think of two lines. Um, one that I always bring up is it said to Riku of Sora that he always sees the good before the bad, which is something I try to live by and that my lovely fiance helps me with. And the other uh, line that rings true is in Kingdom Hearts 2, which I think about with you, Aaron, I think about with Maddie, my fiance, I think about with people I'm very close with, which is um, at the end of Kingdom Hearts 2, when Sora and Riku are kind of by themselves on this, um, this beach in between realms, um, Riku says to Sora that he feels very lucky because he has something Sora never can, which is he has Sora as a friend mm. and I, I always thought that that was such a, a beautiful way to show that, um, uh, <laughs> gratitude is just another side of like when it's ugly, it's jealousy, but when it's beautiful, it's gratitude. And I think that that's something that I've been thinking about quite a bit lately heading into this weekend. Hmm. Gratitude, a wonderful thing to take from all aspects of our lives, but something that certainly rings true in, in gaming and those games in particular. Well, you know, I can't wait and, uh, it's going to be awesome. Make, it'll make any game comment on weddings pale in comparison to be able to, <laughs> uh, to toast the nuptials of, of you, my friend. Well, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to it and I hope that everyone listening has a lovely weekend. Um, like I said, we will be otherwise uh, engaged, so we will see you next time. But thank you for listening as always. Stay well, have a lot of good gaming, and we'll talk to you next time. Till next time, everyone.